0: Hey, thanks for listening to the Grace Auburn Church Podcast. This week, Lead Pastor Matt Dean continues our series, A Living Hope, in Chapter 1 of 1 Peter. Peter wrote this letter to exiled believers that were facing uh, hostility and harassment from surrounding non-believing people. And this letter was written to be circulated in what would now be modern-day Turkey. And as these believers were gathering around, Peter had a heart for them to remind them to take courage, to take heart, and to remember that Jesus himself faced hostility, that Jesus faced harassment, and that because of Jesus going before them, they too could trust in Jesus confidently. And last week I preached on the first several verses of 1 Peter. We're gonna go back through that together as we set up our time this morning. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge, Of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Then Peter begins to describe this magnificent salvation. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, this inheritance is kept in heaven for you who, by God's power, are being guarded or shielded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though, now for a little while. If necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Here's why. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, but that your faith... May be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him, and though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. One of the joys of being a pastor is that you know people, you know the ups and the downs of life. And as I read this passage this morning at our eight a.m. worship service, I knew there were a couple of very difficult stories. In the room. And the tears began to flow when I said, I want you to know that your suffering and your trials serve to authenticate and strengthen your faith. I want to say that to you again this morning that your suffering and your trials are not unnoticed by God, but that the difficulty in life is designed through the hands of a loving Father to say to us, You really can. In fact, trust me. In all the highs and in all the lows, you will find me faithful and trustworthy. And so I want to encourage you, people of God, your suffering is not wasted in the hands and wisdom of a loving God. Your trials, your temptations, your failures, all of those things find their adequacy and answer in Jesus. He is life and worthy and worthy to be trusted even when you're suffering, even when you're down, even when life is difficult, God is faithful, and worthy to be trusted. And that's Peter's heart for these people. He's saying, I want you to know you can trust God through the trials. These trials, they authenticate your faith. And if that's you this morning, in the midst of a trial, I'm so sorry. It's tough, I I know. But these trials, they serve to validate and authenticate that when all else fails, God, you will not. When everything is lost, you have not lost me. And so God, I'm going to trust you. So Peter goes on and he says, concerning this salvation, which is awesome. He said, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was yours searched, inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the spirit of Christ or the Holy Spirit in them was indicated when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to these prophets that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through the preaching of good news to you by the Holy Spirit, sent from heaven, things into which angels even long to look. Then Peter goes on and says, Therefore, in light of this salvation, prepare your minds for action and be sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former life, your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy." And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers. And you were ransomed not with perishable things like silver or gold. You were ransomed with the precious blood of Christ, like a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown, this lamb of God, Jesus, was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last time For the sake of you who through him are now believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Peter would go on to say, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart for you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God for all flesh is like grass. And all its glory, like the flower of grass, the grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord, it remains forever. And this word is the good news. It was preached to you. That's Peter's heart for them. Peter's wanting these exiled Christians to see the magnitude of their salvation, that God throughout time and space and history has accomplished something that was a living hope that all believers for all time's sake in suffering and in hostility could put their hope in. And Peter wanted them to see that these Old Testament prophets, they too longed to see the day, not just to speak of a future Savior, but to see the Savior. They longed for the day, not just to speak of the glories of Christ, they longed for the day to see the glory of Christ. And it says that the angels look in on what is happening with holy curiosity. The same angels that before the throne of God endlessly say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty are the same angels that look in with holy curiosity at the redemption story of humankind and go, God, you are amazing. I don't know how you could have done what you've done. I'm looking in with holy curiosity and I'm longing to see your work on earth be done. Peter's trying to help them see with greater scope and scale the magnitude of God's saving hand. Peter goes on in verse 10 through 12, it says, concerning the salvation, it says the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours and searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Holy Spirit or the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to these prophets that they were serving not themselves, but you and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Peter's making this connection that the prophets could see ahead, that the prophets were serving another time, another generation, that the prophets could see the suffering and the glory of Jesus because the Holy Spirit was showing them. And I want to show you this morning what the Holy Spirit showed them. This is in Isaiah 52, that the Holy Spirit would have shown Isaiah these very real descriptions of Jesus centuries before. Behold, my servant shall act wisely, and he shall be high and lifted up, and he shall be exalted." And as many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. This is when he was executed and beaten on the cross. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall not shut their mouths because of him, for that which has been told of them they see and that which they have not heard they understand. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord, the strength of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him. This is the description of Jesus. He had no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities, and upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds, we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Centuries before this would happen, the Holy Spirit worked in Isaiah's heart to say, this is the suffering servant who would come. And Peter wanted to remind these suffering Christians, God is sovereign and at work and to be trusted. And it would be their testimony that we look back on and see they were faithful in the midst of suffering. Help us be faithful in the midst of suffering because Jesus, you were faithful in the midst of suffering. Or in Jeremiah, the Holy Spirit gave him a glimpse of future glory. This is Jeremiah 33. It says, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days, at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved, and Jerusalem will dwell securely. And this is the name by which it will be called, the Lord is our righteousness. Or in Daniel chapter seven, Daniel saw this vision of what to be. It says, I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him and to him, i.e. Jesus, to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, even the Maharatha people, that all peoples, nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion and which shall not pass away and his kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. Or in Joel chapter two, it says, the Lord will pour out, pour out his spirit and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall see dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions, even on male and female so- servants. In those days, I will pour out my spirit and I will show wonders in the heavens and on earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. And the sun shall turn to darkness and the moon to blood for before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there shall be those who escape as the Lord has said, and among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. Peter's reminding these believers, it is a marvelous, wonderful, astounding, and beautiful thing that God has planned and accomplished in saving people. Take heart. Peter goes on and he He says the same thing in the book of Acts. You think we have space issues? 3,000 people came to faith in Jesus after one sermon that Peter gave. In Acts chapter two, Peter says the same thing. He says, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what do we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ. For the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized and were added to that day about 3,000 souls. And here's the description of what happens when people see Jesus. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings, distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day, those who are being saved. And Peter's saying, in light of this, in light of this salvation, in light of this living hope, he's building this significant case of, in light of God's saving power, this is how you live. And the rest of the letter is in light of that. The rest of the letter is instructions on holy living and life in light of this gospel salvation that he has accomplished. So Peter says, in light of all this salvation, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, the action step as people prepared for action and being clear-headed, the action step is set your hope fully on the grace that will be revealed, that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So 1 Peter 13 is saying, in light of being prepared for action, in light of being clear-minded, the next thing you are to do in verse 13 is set your hope fully on the grace that will be revealed to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now we've got blessings now, but this word says there'll be blessings then too future blessings, unreleased blessings from God when Jesus Christ is revealed. And so because God loves us, he has a way of reminding us what our hope is often in when it's not him. And I wanna ask you this morning, what is your hope fully in or on? And if it's someone or something other than him, you will be disappointed. And because God loves you, he will discipline you to help you see that really the best thing is that your hope be in him. And Peter's heart for these people, hey, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The word literally preparing your minds for action, it says to gird up the loins of your mind, which is fascinating language here this morning, but in, in the dress of the day, men and women will wear longer robes and it literally means to take the length of your robes and to wrap them around your waist so that you can run a race fast and be unfettered, unhindered. And he's saying gird up the loins in your mind, being prepared, be sober-minded, be clear, be focused, be alert, about what matters most. In verse 14 through 16, he says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Peter saying, as obedient children, he's reminding them of this father-child relationship that we have with God, this father-child relationship that Paul talks about in Galatians, this father-child relationship that we see in Ephesians. Peter saying, hey, remember who you were, and now remember who you currently are. Now, some of us have grown up in Christian homes with Christian parents, and, and we've been steeped in a life marked by knowing Jesus. And so some of you, you can't remember a time where you weren't a believer. And I want to tell you that that testimony is incredible. That testimony is a shield over you in God's kindness to you. And it's not to feel like you have a less than testimony. But others of you I mean, that's every, that's every Christian parent's dream, Lord, protect my parents from the life before Jesus stories. But and if that's you, celebrate that God's mercy and grace has been on you, that even in that journey, you'll learn slowly that your self-righteousness is never gonna be good enough. But for those of you that have a very clear before Jesus, after Jesus life, which I know many people do, and the older we get, the more we realize, oh my goodness, who, who can save me but you, Jesus. But if you have a very clear, this was where I was before I knew Jesus, and this is how I lived, and this is how I acted, Peter's saying, hey, don't go back to that. Don't go back to your former ways of ignorance. And that message is clear throughout all of Scripture. There's a life in Christ that looks like you're walking with him, and there's a life before Christ that clearly indicates you are not. Peter's saying, don't go back. If that's where you were, don't go back. If you're already walking with him, keep walking with him. But don't go back to the former ways. Why? Because God is holy, so you also should be holy. This idea of don't be conformed, it literally means to pattern your life after. And if you're a child in the room or a teenager in the room or a young adult in the room and you've got parents that are to be esteemed and honored because their walk with the Lord points you to walk with the Lord in your heart, thank God for them. But if in your parent-child relationship, you realize that your parents aren't perfect, i.e. all of them, including this one, let their imperfections be a conduit for you to see the perfections of your Father in heaven. And if you're a man or a woman following after Jesus and you realize there was a before Jesus me, have a funeral and walk away from that because now you're new and alive in Jesus Christ forever. He's saying, don't go back to the old ways. It may call you from the grave, but don't don't go back there. The dead man may rise again, ignore him, don't go back there. Peter continues on in verses 17 through 21. He says, If you call on him as Father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but you were ransomed with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest or revealed in the last time for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Peter's saying, listen, conduct yourselves with fear, but fear is not in the final judgment of believers. As believers, we have no fear of final judgment. Our guilt has been declared not guilty, but there is the reality that the way we live our life on earth will be rewarded, and it does matter how we live. It matters how we leverage our lives for the kingdom, and that's what Peter's saying, conduct yourselves with healthy fear, knowing that the Lord disciplines those whom he loves knowing that the rescue from futile living is secured by Jesus Christ. So when we in our flesh and our sin go back to these futile ways, we are ignoring the precious blood of Jesus that's rescued us from that. And that should grieve our heart because we don't want to minimize or devalue the precious work of what Jesus has done. He's reminding them that their hope and their faith are in God. And Peter turns a corner, and I think he turns a corner on the hardest one yet, He says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Here's why I contend before you that it's difficult. We know that God is holy, and we know in our own strength we are not. We all get that, right? He's declared us holy, but God is holy, holy, holy. Here's where most of us get tripped up. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. If it was just me and God, or you and God, that would not be so difficult, but because there are people around us, plus me or you and God, that's when we get into trouble. Because people like you and me are broken, and people like you and me, we tend to offend, hurt people. And we are offended and hurt people, and as offended and hurt people, the thought of earnestly loving someone from a pure heart is like, well, no, no, no. I don't feel like it. And then once again, our emotions settle in, or our wounds settle in, or our anger settles in, and the very thing we wanna do, be holy like you are holy, God. is like, but I, don't, I can't stand that person. I don't, wanna, I don't wanna love that person or forgive that person. I don't wanna have anything to do with that person. And Peter's pressing in, he goes, hey, just a friendly reminder, having purified your souls by hearing the gospel, having purified the souls by obedience to God's command in daily life, you need to love your brothers sincerely, and not just casually, but you need to love one another earnestly, from a pure heart. I'm not gonna ask for a raise of hands, but has anyone experienced difficulty this week in human relationships? Both of my hands are up. You just can't see them. And so the thought of, okay, because of the gospel, I'm to love earnestly, that's difficult. Can we agree? It's difficult because when we've been hurt or offended, it is almost impossible to move through the emotions in the fog of war, so to speak, and yet that's what God has called us to. Now, I don't feel like forgiving. He knows. But Jesus in you is capable of forgiving that person. So this idea of obedience to the truth and believing the gospel, obedience for a sincere brotherly love, I want you to know this word earnestly is not just like kinda. So I'm gonna give you some context for this word earnestly, and we're going back to the Old Testament. Joel 1, here's the connection of the word earnestly. Consecrate a fast, call a solemn assembly, Gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land to the house of the Lord your God and cry out earnestly to the Lord. That's a different kind of love one another. There's a gravity to it. There's a fervency to it. Or in Jonah chapter three, we're thinking about the whale not thinking about the whale, in this moment, it says, the word reached the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne and removed his robe and covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation published through Nineveh and he says, by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast nor herd nor flock taste anything, let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily, earnestly to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way, from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. And when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Why? Because they called out mightily, earnestly to the living God and repented before him. Jesus says it this way, a new commandment I give you that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. First John describes it this way, beloved, let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God. I'll just repeat that. Anyone who does not love does not No, God, because God is love. And in this is the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son in the world that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation or the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Peter's saying, you got to love one another. In your hostility, in your harassment, in your trials, in your suffering, in light of this salvation, love one another. Earnestly, mightily love one another. Peter wraps up this little section. And he says, since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord Remains forever. I want you to remember today that the word God has spoken over you by grace through faith. Here's some words. Ready? Forgiven, it remains forever. Loved remains forever. His child remains forever. The word the Lord speaks over you as his sons and daughters, those words remain forever. The word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So just think, think for a moment. What does it mean? for you to remain forgiven because the word of the lord remains forever. What does it you to remain a child of god because the word remains forever. You are mine. I've called you by name. And I just want you to take heart this morning in your trials, in your temptations, in your suffering, just like Peter had for these believers in what would now be Turkey as all around them is hostility and difficulty. He's saying, "Look, prepare your minds for action and be sober-minded because you're born again. Be clear about what matters in life because you've been born again. Peter's heart, he's like, set your hope fully on God's grace. Why? Because you've been born again. Let me ask you, what is your hope in this morning? What is your hope in? If it's something or someone and it's not him, it's not going to last. I promise you. You can't put hope in friendships. You can't put hope in human loyalty. You can't put hope in accomplishments or a, Or accumulating wealth. You can't put hope in status or significance. You can't put hope in anything. It's all subject to sin except the faithfulness of God. And everything on earth will let you down. And everything in heaven will stand the test of time. He is to be trusted because he's trustworthy. Peter's heart, put your hope fully on God's grace. Peter's saying, hey, remember who you were and now who you are. Before Jesus and now with Jesus. Don't go back to the before Jesus days because you've been born again. Remember to be holy in life. In other words, it's such a good reminder for all of us. We've been called to be holy in life, to be different, to be holy other like God is. Your culture around you is not. The, the world that we live in is not holy. And the more we live in this world, the more likely we are to look like this world. And he says, no, be holy. This moves beyond morality and being a nice person. This means looking like and living like God has redeemed your life. Be holy in life because you've been born again. Remember that you were ransomed from futility. Later on in the fall, when we begin our study in Romans, we'll talk about that the wrath of God includes futility. But because you've been born again, you're not subject to futility, meaning this, in Christ, you will never have to ask the question, why? Why? In Christ, the answer why has already been answered for your good and the glory of God. Amen. You never have to be subject again to what's the point of all this? That question has been answered forever in Jesus. What's the point of all this? To know Him and make Him known. What's the point of all this? To know you, God, and glorify you forever. What's the point of all this? Is because you are good and sovereign, and I can trust you, God, in the midst of everything. I'm free from futility. You are free from futility. People around you are gonna ask the question, what's the point? You have an answer for that today. The point is the goodness and grace of God in your life. It's his glory. That's the point. Peter says, remember your faith and hope are in God because you've been born again. He says, remember to love one another earnestly, mightily love one another with a pure heart. You've been born again. Remember that this new birth that God has accomplished, I talked about that last week, that this God has accomplished this new birth, it comes through the living, abiding word of God, and that word of God, it remains forever. So I want you to take heart this morning, wherever you are. If you're currently not working through a season of suffering or trials, I promise you people around you are, would you take this word of hope and encouragement to those in your life that are in difficult seasons? But if you are in a difficult season, I just want you to know that history proves that God can and will be trusted in the midst of suffering and difficulty. And I want you to take heart. And just like Peter wanted them to remember the magnificent salvation that God has accomplished for them, I want you to remember the same, that your faith in Jesus at the end of the day is a miracle, (laughs) right? You get that. Your faith in Jesus is a miracle in the work of God in your life. Let's pray. Father, that song, this is my story, this is my song, Keep writing it. Write verse after verse after verse in all of our lives that we would have truly a blessed assurance that you are mine, that we belong to you. Father, this morning, I pray that as your word lands on hearts that are in very different places, I pray that your Holy Spirit would help us all appropriate what needs to be lived out from this text today. And we thank you, Father, that throughout the entire history of the church, that believers have been encouraged by your heart for people facing hostility and harassment. And we thank you that through the pen and through the power of the Holy Spirit, these words you gave to Peter to encourage suffering Christians still ring true to all of us today. And so Lord, this morning we give you our hearts and we recognize that there might be places in our life where our hope is misplaced. This morning, Lord, would you help us aim that hope and place that hope in the right space, which is you, O holy God. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. We thank you that we belong to you and that your word remains forever. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. As believers, we have the opportunity every week to come to the table of the Lord. If you're not a believer, then this is not yet for you, but we're very glad that you're here. But if you are a believer, then this moment is for you to confess your sin before the Lord, to reconcile your life again with the gospel and with the mercy and grace of God. So would you take a moment to prepare the cup and the wafer? Most importantly, to prepare your heart to come to the table, to come to the Lord in a manner that is worthy of the grace that he has shown you. So I'm gonna give you some time to prepare and then I'll lead us in just a few moments. Almighty God, our Father God, Lord, we confess that we have sinned before you. We confess that we have not loved you with all of our heart or all of our soul, all of our mind, with all of our strength. And we confess that we have failed to love people the way you love us. We failed to love one another the way that you have loved us. And we confess that we've been caught up and tripped up and hung up and all sorts of human pain and emotion. And in that pain, we have sinned and wandered and strayed. God, we confess that we have sought comfort from things less than you, less worthy than you. We confess that we are distracted and easily entangled by sin that lives within us and sin that is around us. We confess to bitterness and rage and envy and jealousy. We confess to unforgiving hearts and an unwillingness to reconcile. God, we confess that as people, We are broken. We confess that there's a mountain of heartache around us and the weight of those emotions often get the best of us and we insert ourselves as our highest authority when it was never meant to be that way. And so Jesus, we repent and once again say, you are our highest authority, you are the truth, you're the life, you're the way to live and we just confess that we have not lived in that way that our sin before you is real. The greater confession, the most humbling confession is that your grace is greater still. And you knew the weight of sin and shame that would be placed on your shoulders. And with the joy set before you, looking to the cross on the night of your betrayal, after giving thanks, you broke bread and you said, this bread is my body broken for you. And as often as you eat of this bread, do so and remember me in the same way you lifted a cup and you said, this cup is a new covenant poured out in my blood, drink of it and remember me. And Jesus, in these moments, our desire, our sincere desire is to remember you, to confess our need before you, to confess our sin before you and to find you faithful, to find forgiveness, to be real, to find help and mercy in our time of need to be welcomed in your presence because your love for us is without condition or regret. And so, Father, this morning, help us live as you have intended us to live and help us love one another as you have intended us to love. We place our hope fully in you, God, on on your grace that is sufficient for all of us. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening this week. We hope you all have a restful summer and look forward to seeing you next Sunday. Until then, you can find out more online at graceauburn.church.